You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now? A Practical Path to Authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here uh, by calling out to our helping spirits. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to those people who have gone before us, those who met the challenges of their times in a way that brings all that is good and true and beautiful into our lives. I call out to these ancestors to gather around us and to help us, the living, uh, to do what we must do in our time. I call out to these ancestors to help us to meet the challenges of our time, to bring forward the medicine that we have been dreamt into existence to bring, and to come to truly not only understand why we are here, but to do it, and to do it now while there is still time to enjoy the fruits of our labors and to share these gifts with each other. I call out to these ancestors and ask them to take their place around us, helping the living to do what must be done for those who are coming. And I call out beyond those human ancestors to those beings that were here on our beautiful planet long before anyone ever thought of a human. I call out to these non-human ancestors to be with us here today to help us to remember our true nature, to remember how to be part of this great oneness of life, this great cycle of life, and to do what it is that humans are truly uniquely designed to do in this great dreaming, and that we bring our creativity and our innovation and our beauty, our prayers, our blessings, that we bring our magic into the world in a way that is good for all living things. And I ask the spirits of nature all around us to help us to surrender more fully to our own true nature and do what it is that we are here to do with blessings. And as these helping spirits gather around us here today, let us call ourselves together, drawing our awareness from wherever it might be into our head, And with the next breath, bring it from our head to our heart. And with the next breath, from our heart down to our belly. And from our belly, let's reach down to the earth and take a moment in this day to stop thinking about 1,700 different things, to stop multitasking for just a moment, and to focus ourselves purely and clearly on our gratitude for life, our gratitude for this day. Our thanks for the wonder, our thanks for the diversity, our thanks for the beauty in life around us. And we even give gratitude for the challenges, those things we don't yet understand how to embrace as the gifts that life has to offer. We give thanks even for these parts of our journey. We give thanks for all that is here that is the richness and the bounty and the abundance that allows each one of us, man and woman, to come into the humans we were meant to be. We give great, great gratitude to the earth for this beautiful place in which we all walk this journey. And with gratitude flowing from our heart, let us move our energy down and down and down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude pour out as we go, giving thanks, nurturing our relationship with the earth and allowing it uh, to be real at each stage as we move down to the center of the earth to the very center of the earth. And as we reach the very center of the earth, let us ground our energy firmly there and take a moment and tune in. Tune into the silence and the darkness, the stillness. Tune into this energy that is the potential before it becomes the things that are here on the face of the earth that we all experience. We tune into this energy that is before. The energy that is pure potential, that is not yet in form. The energy that renews and refreshes and restores. We call out to this energy as we dip down into it and draw it up into our day and into our lives, into these proceedings. We call up this energy that makes us trustworthy and dependable in our lives. We call up this energy that allows us to go deeply within ourselves, to be one with ourselves in a way that our life is not a mystery. We call up this energy that helps us to be in the dark times, in the sleep at night, 
with the closed eyes in our journeys, in our meditation, and all of these things that we do in the darkness that allow us to refresh and renew and restore our relationship with our own soul. And we give gratitude to the earth for this energy, this energy that rises up in us and in all things on the service of the earth to bring us abundance and diversity and the blessings of this sweet planet. And may we use this energy to know where it is that we stand and what we stand for in life. And from that, let us build a sense of home and a sense of belonging. And in that home, a sense of a hearth, a sense of a place to gather. And let us do this in a way that the place is open for the unknown, for those people who are other, for those things that we do not yet understand. And we invite these energies to join us at our table, that they might inspire us and provoke us into becoming the men and women we were truly meant to be. And as we call these energies in to our sense of home, let us learn from this how to connect, to connect with others, to connect with ourselves, to experience the interconnectedness of our relationship with our nature and the environment around us, and ultimately the deep, deep connection with the spirit energies that are there to assist us in our lives. And as we reach out to these layers of connection and interconnection, Let us finally connect to the oneness of life and take a moment in that oneness to come into right relationship with ourselves, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment and the spirit world. And with this energy coming into balance within us, let us draw this energy up from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind. And let this energy rise up and out the tops of our head and out into the sky above and whatever weather it holds for you as you are listening and up and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos imagine that your energy is caressed by all the heavenly bodies and you caress back as we reach out in the great mystery of our universe reaching all the way to the highest power of the universe and we connect with that energy there by whatever way you know this energy whatever way you conceive of it connect with it know yourself in it and it in you and to begin to draw this energy down drawing into yourself and drawing into your day the energy of blessings, the energy of protection and generosity and devotion. We call down the energy that inspires and illuminates and helps us to remember the great benevolence of this universe. We call in all the wisdom of the cosmos and the beneficence of this existence. We call this all in, into our lives, into these proceedings, into our head, into our heart into our belly and we send it down to the center of the earth and in this way we do what is ours to do which is to become this meeting place of heaven and earth above and below we call these energies together that we might experience their true big love that is this energy and we ask that love to awaken the spirit of our heart to open up our heart that it might become the crucible of transformation that it is uniquely designed to be And that we call up the fiery passions of our belly and down the crystal clarity of our mind. And we ask these two energies to mix and merge and dance there in our heart. That it might give birth to this third and most sacred thing. Our memory, our knowing, our sense of why we are here. And may you find in that human heart the courage in this day, the courage that it takes to do something large or small, to make your purpose manifest, to bring your gifts to the world in some way. I thank you for that. I thank the helping spirits that help you and that help me. I give gratitude for all that is here helping us to co-create our world. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And with great gratitude to the spirit help around, I also want to give thanks to the spirits in you people and those listeners who have donated to the show. I give thanks to Mark and Maria, to Carol, Jose, Marina, uh, Mimi, Susan, and Belle, and all of these listeners who have been able to donate financially. I thank you all for it is with your help that I am able to keep the show alive and on the air and out there in the world for anyone who is able to connect to the internet. And once you're there, the shows are free on iTunes at whyshamanismnow.com and at co-creatornetwork.com. And so I give thanks to you, those of you that helped me to do that. So if this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, allow yourself to do this most fundamental of shamanic things, which is is to let what moves you in the heart to motivate your actions in the world. 
and to do something, large or small, to help the show to grow. If you'd like to donate and you haven't, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, click the support button and donate any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And we all know that there are things that matter in the world in addition to money. There are many energies and resources that have nothing to do with finances. And I ask those of you that can't do something financial to support the show, do something else. Be creative. Use the show in some way. Uh, Practice what is talked about. Do something with it. See what happens. See if you can break it. Send your questions in. Um, All of these things are are the ways in which the shows and the ideas for the shows are inspired by those of you who are listening and um, working with the ideas that are shared here because this is all about the practical application of shamanism in our contemporary time. And I thank those of you who are doing your best to do that. So thank you for helping me in the many ways that you are. I give thanks to Ken at CoCreatorNetwork.com. And I give thanks in particular to those of you um, who have responded um, from your efforts with the Solstice Fire. You're working with the the series about co-creating. There's just a lot of um, good things happening. And I give gratitude for you to take, for your willingness to take a time to let me know what's going on. So thank you very much. We are actually live today after a couple couple weeks of not being live. And so if you have questions about today's topic, which is our last uh, show in this series about co-creating your life, uh, if, you, if you do have questions, though, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype in at, at the co-creatornetwork.com site by clicking the Skype button, or you can just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And lastmaskcenter.org is my website for my classes, and it's how you reach me for healing sessions and things like that. All right, so as I said, this is our final episode for the series on co-creating a more joyful life and with that, a better world. Because as you know, here on Why Shamanism Now, we are not uh, strong advocates of just getting what you want, but we are very strong advocates of understanding that we are actually here to do what we've been called to do. And that when we are living our soul's purpose, we are doing things that are, we need to do it in a way that is good for all living things. And so it's important that we have not only a more joyful life, but that we help to create a better world for life. And so we began this five weeks ago, um, partly because a a friend and colleague of mine, Elida Birch, finished a really excellent book called The Co-Creation Handbook. And by the way, um, I've gotten a lot of feedback from listeners who bought the book as an e-book and then turned around and bought it as a physical book. So if you do want to buy it, just go straight for the physical book because there's workbook stuff in it and it's too hard to do on the e-readers. So... That book was about practical skills and shamanic skills in co-creating your life. And so since then, we've looked at what are really the nuts and bolts and the real world, very messy art of co-creating your life. And in particular, if you're wanting to co-create a life of meaning and joy and value um, in a world with the help of spirit, since um, if you're doing that in America, for example, you're somewhat going against the current of contemporary culture. So over these few weeks, we have explored the challenges of co-creating your life with the dead, meaning the, the how do we work with our ancestors as helping spirits and how do we deal with the influence of the dead that are not yet helping spirits. We also talked about co-creating with the living, which is how our ideas about what we want in the world get mashed up against the ideas of other people and what they want. And how do we, how do we manage that as we're wanting to co-create what we feel is a better world? What, is, what does that mean? What does it mean to create a better world um, when everybody's got their own opinion about what that means? And then finally, we started talking about co-creating with shadow. And um, and I just realized from the feedback of that show, I needed to kind of continue on that topic. So we have a part two about co-creating with shadow here today. Um, and all of this is because we're never co-creating in a vacuum. It's not like the world stops for us and lets us get our plan together and then everything gets going again when we're ready. That we as humans in this contemporary time are always engaged not only in co-creating with our own spirit and with our helping spirits, 
but with the dead, with the other living beings, humans and otherwise, and with and having to deal with our own shadow um, because it is part of the nature of our contemporary existence. Okay, so the first part of this show was two weeks ago, actually, and it was really asking the question, what if our shadow is actually trying in its very messed up, self-destructive and terribly resource and energy wasteful way, what if it was actually trying nonetheless to get us to actually co-create a life that is true to us and our soul's purpose? That in, that there's this, some convoluted way as our shadow rises up in this co-creation process that it's actually trying to help you course correct. So what if that's a possibility? And so what if then we could remember that the more powerful a shadow self is as it derails us, then actually the more powerful that energy will be once it is returned to its rightful place in our life as an ally. And uh, in that to remember then that it's worth taking the time to transform the shadow's energies that arise in our process of co-creation. Um, so that we are gathering our allies along the way and not just ignoring the fact that the shadow pattern rose up again, you know, adjusting ourselves, moving on and letting it rise up another time in the future. And because the, the shadow patterns will keep rising if they're not addressed and transformed. So the, the other piece of that, since we're talking about co-creating, you know, and none of us are co-creating alone. It's not our world. It's everybody's world, right? That um, the, we need to remember that the more effective a collective shadow is in disrupting or sabotage, sabotaging us in our efforts. Um, and remember, this collective shadow is created by our collusion together right then the more we each individually have to gain from ending our collusion in that collective shadow and um, entering into the shadow realm to transform our part of that shared shadow so that was two weeks ago okay so to do any of this we must learn that we you the person listening to the show you're not your mind you're more than your mind. That the mind is only one of the wisdoms that make up a human. And there are four wisdoms, actually, that make up a human. Uh, there is the wisdom of the body and the wisdom of the heart, the wisdom of the mind and the wisdom of the spirit. And male or female or undecided or something in between doesn't really matter. If you're human, the mind is at issue here as we are uh, embarking on this effort to co-create our life with our shadow. So when we think we are our mind, when we don't realize there's a distinction there between what I think of as myself and my mind, right? So when we think we are our mind, when we never realize there's a separation, then our mind is allowed to become very, very full of itself. Right? When we don't recognize that distinction then the mind gets really frankly completely out of control it gets very full of itself it's actually very full of your false self and the shadow when the false self takes over it the shadow is often rising up to say rising up to save us from the direction of the false self which is what's so interesting about how the the convoluted nature of shadow work because of course the false self is exceedingly successful it's very safe and it helps us fit in in the world but it often almost always creates a very soul unsatisfying life so let's talk a little bit about the false self before we forge ahead into the this shadow piece for today so why do we have a false self um, why aren't we all just living our authentic selves? Well, the primary reason that this is an issue for contemporary people and therefore an issue for those of us contemporary people practicing shamanism, the reason this is an issue that is not as big an issue with traditional people is that traditional people had enough sense to initiate their young into adulthood. And that's different from being initiated into being a shaman or whatever. 
It's just the initiation of everyone from childhood into adulthood. And so that's one of the main reasons we have these massively overdeveloped false selves because the false self that's getting created through childhood as we're trying to figure out how to survive isn't getting killed off in our early teens and allowing the authentic self to rise up with the assistant of spirit and take over the show and drive the rest of the life. That's what's happening in an initiation. Your relationship, that inner relationship is changing. Um, another way to say it would be your relationship with your ego is changing, to put it in contemporary um, psychological terms. It's a fundamental change. It's not, it's not, um, it's a transformation, actually. So if we don't have that, if we don't have an initiation into adulthood, the false self that's getting cultivated through childhood just keeps running the show. And we lose a sense that there's a distinction between who I am, when, who, who, who is saying I when I say I am and my mind? And when we don't have that distinction, then the false self can just run the show. It just uses the mind to run the show entirely. Now, the other issue for those who w- would think there are initiatory actions in the contemporary, let's just say, American world. The other thing that there is clearly not in America is culturally defined expectations for adult behavior as something separate from childish behavior and childhood behavior. And so that's the other reason. I mean, initiation only works if there's some sense of what it means to be an adult on the other side of the initiation. So these two pieces are missing, thus fostering the the strength and the abundance of false self. And finally, the other issue, even if we step past the lack of initiation issue and move on, people are growing less and less conscious of what it means to individuate from your parents and the need to do that. I mean, each generation, as we move further and further away from a culture that regularly initiates its young, we move further and further away from people that at least individuate from their parents. And the most important fundamental piece of individuating from your parents is seeing your parents as whole people. Each, your mother and your father, whether you know them or not, as whole people, good or bad, and making your own choice for who it is you are going to be instead of being driven unconsciously by who your parents were and weren't, etc. So these are, these are the primary reasons that for most, I'll say Americans, but it's true for most of the Western world, are being driven by their false self. So what is a false self? So false self is more than just an ego or a personality that we identify with. It is an entire person constructed to make certain that you fit in. It's an entire, the the more intelligent you are, the more intelligent your false self and the, the more seamless your false self is. The less you are able to see that distinction between you and who you're being. And so the false self Uh, is constructed to make sure that you fit in, that you get along with people, that you survive physically, and that you do nothing that scares you. Um, In the fourfold way, um, Angelus Arian says, we feed the false self by editing our thoughts, rehearsing our emotions, performing what we think people want to see, and hiding our true selves. We feed off the false self system whenever we are unwilling to tell the truth, to say what is so, or give voice to what we see. So the false self system is fed through our denial and our indulgence. It is fed in our um, just running the program we were given in childhood and never questioning the need to actually wake up and grow up. So the false self always moves us away from our authenticity. Uh, So think about what that means in terms of co-creation. If you're trying to co-create an authentic life for yourself, the false self is going to trick you into recreating itself in your plan for co-creation. That's what the false self will do. It is a survival-based mechanism you have cultivated and it will trick you into recreating itself so that you survive. So 
if you don't pay attention to what the shadow is trying to show you, you will utterly and completely follow the false self like it's got a ring through your nose and a chain connected to it. It's just um, simplistic in that sense. The false self normalizes daily self-betrayal in patterns of denial and indulgence. And the art of the false self is the art of self-abandonment. And you abandon yourself every single time you think you aren't worthy, you don't love yourself enough, the universe doesn't love you, etc. All of these ways are self-abandonment. So the false self-mastery is the art of self-abandonment without you ever noticing that you did it, while you righteously argue for your right to do it. And I see this all the time, unfortunately, with my clients and students as well. So if the false self is designed to move us away from our authenticity, then what does the false self do when we start to move towards it? You know, what, so what's your false self going to do if you buy Elida's book, you really work her process, which is a great process, and you start to really co-create a life that's going to allow you to both do what you love and pay your bills. And you're really working, and you're working with spirit to make it happen. The false self is going to try to stop you. So this is what happens when you begin to co-create your life with spirit. The false self resorts to anything at all costs to get you to stop trying to transform yourself. So I can get into a whole big long thing about the false self because that's of course the point of the cycle teachings. It's not about training people to be shamans. It's about training people to be their authentic self in every way, day and night, and to use their shamanic skills to engage in living shamanically in the contemporary world and in doing that to live authentically and to notice when the false self is trying to step in again and run the show and to continue through the transformational work with ritual and ceremony to dismantle and diminish the false self until it's just another little squeaky voice running around in your head. Okay, so that's, that's really the point of the cycle teachings. Okay, and so I'm not going to go too far into the false self here today, but it's important because I want you to see the connection with the shadow self. So the false self actually operates in four stages in getting you to derail from your co-creation efforts that are going to change your life. And, and what I mean by changing your life is you are going to change the false self's hold on you. The false self's ability to run the show without you recognizing you're not actually running the show, but your false self is. So that's what the false self is, tries to continue to maintain. And I think of it kind of like levels of deployment. The false self will begin with the easiest, most subtle seduction and move on from there. So in stage one, the false self is just another voice in your head. In fact, it's it's most people perceive the voice of the false self as their own voice in their head okay so for example you think to yourself i should go for a walk i need to feel nature i need to get up off my butt and go for a walk and your false self in your head responds you don't really have time for that you need to you know insert the list of the things that you need to do and as a result you don't take the walk or do your morning practice, or take that journey to communicate with spirit, whatever it is, you simply rationally choose not to do it. It's just a little conversation in your head. And the voice of the false self is always reasonable, it's practical, it's authoritative, and it uh, implies that it is the voice of safety and sanity, always. The false self implies that you are crazy for wanting to change such a perfectly good system. So the you that felt that authentic impulse to get up and go for a walk and go be out in nature is convinced by the false self that that self is the crazy one. Okay, so now if that doesn't work, if you see through that bullshit and get up, go for your walk, reconnect and and really begin to engage your co-creation plan, the false self will move to stage two. And so in stage two, this is when the false self can't detour you from your path of co-creation with reason and practicality. It begins to have a conversation with you about power. And the false self reminds you that power isn't safe, 
um, that you will either abuse it, right? So don't even pick it up or you'll be abused by it. So step away from the power, right? The false self reminds you all of the rules you've learned about power from your family, from your schooling, from your religious upbringing, from the culture, and you will learn, which is largely learning about power based on gender. Gender, gender in cultures, gender is defined by culture. There's biology, certainly. But gender is defined in a large sense by culture. And what it's really about is saying who gets to use what power and how much. So the false self implies that you will be killed, annihilated, or excommunicated, otherwise abandoned, etc. if you touch the power. So don't touch the power. Go be reasonable. Be safe. Be sane. Do something practical. Right? Okay, let's say you see through that. And you're forging ahead with your excellent co-creation plan for transforming your life and the false self will move to stage three, which is mobilizing your fears and your judgments. So this is where, oddly enough, the false self actually sends a little zap of energy into the shadow closet, right, into the shadow realm. And some aspect of your shadow self will rise up and act out through your unconscious and to derail your intentional co-creation process and so this becomes an unconscious pattern right that's going to play out one more time and your co-creation process will go kablooey or go sideways or get stalled or you get stuck or you get doubtful or whatever it is whatever the pattern is so your fears and your judgments are then reconfirmed by the experience of how your co-creation plan goes sideways right and you get scared or you get judgmental this is this is what the false self is trying to do and so this is usually all it takes to get someone to go away and leave the false self in charge to abandon your co-creation plan and just go back to how things were so the false self will then sit back smugly while you have a beer or chocolate or potato chips or a joint or you know whatever your favorite addiction is and the false self sits there as you participate in your addictive behavior in numbing out your false self celebrates its success you're safe and sound exactly where your false self wants you now there's other stages with the false self but the point is we got to the shadow thing what's interesting is that your shadow self is you and so as convoluted as it is false self is trying to take charge it zaps a little energy into the shadow realm and out comes a shadow pattern and you engage in your shadow behavior once again but what shadow pattern emerges is not random it's actually a message from the shadow to get you out from the clutches of the false self because your shadow self isn't contrary to you at its very heart and nature it is you it is your ally. It is aligned with you. So it's this very subversive, convoluted process. It does derail your intentional co-creation efforts, but it does so in a very important way. It brings you a very clear message about what it is the false self is actually doing. If you can learn to work with the shadow energies, thus these two shows okay so what if you could work with your shadow selves as they rise up and so last in the part one of this show we talked a lot about patterns of shadow and how to notice them when they rise up and what are they trying to communicate back to you when they do rise up so you definitely need to put these two shows together to make what I'm saying today make any sense so the important thing is, though, once you begin to recognize a pattern of any kind, not just a shadow pattern, but any kind, once you begin to recognize a pattern in your life, you can begin to use your shamanic skills very powerfully um, to work with shadow patterns so or any patterns, but context of today's shadow patterns. So this, this then assists you in figuring out what your shadow is trying to say about your visioning and co-creating. The, the, in other words, the specific shadow pattern that arises, the specific way that you derail and fall off the wagon is trying to communicate something, a very clear message back to you if you can decode it 
basically. So the thing about the shadow is that when it arises and leads us astray, meaning we sleep with the wrong person, we chicken out where we needed to actually take a risk, and in doing that, we lose a critical opportunity. We take the perfect, the perfect quote-unquote job. It turns into a nightmare. It's stuff like that. So one way or another, you make a choice that derails you from the intended manifestation of this path towards your calling but again whether whatever it is that you're doing whatever shadow behavior you're doing isn't random so how do we break that code so the first thing you need to do is I'm only using code here as a metaphor because the truth of the shadow is there is no code it is complete and utter crazy logic there is great code psychologically for working with the mind the mind is excellent from that perspective. It follows logic. The issue with the shadow is that it doesn't. There is no, no code to break because the next time you're connected with the shadow part, it's another code. I mean, there is a convolution. There is a crazy logic to unfold, but it's not the same ever, twice. It's a completely creative process. But with our shamanic skills, we can learn to work with that. So the first and most important thing that we can begin to notice is the noticing, right? I mean, none of this works if you're not noticing what you're doing. Again, if you haven't at least noticed you're not your mind, none of this show even makes any sense, right? So you're doing your co-creation plan. You have to notice, wow, I'm repeating this destructive pattern or I'm repeating this distraction pattern or I'm repeating this whatever pattern but this is a shadow pattern that drives my energy and resources my focus my concentration my life away from the co-creation plan I have envisioned here right and and it's and it's uh it's repeating it's a pattern I'm doing it again and again okay so the first thing to do then is to notice. Notice yourself in the pattern. Um, in particular, notice it as a shadow pattern. And so if I connect this with the show from two weeks ago. So it would be noticing you're being an addict. Noticing you're being a martyr. So these are the shadow patterns that we work with in the psychocosmology. Noticing you're being a victim or you're perceiving of what is going on from the perspective of a victim. Noticing you're being a righteous zealot and being positional is one of the things actually Elida talked about. It's a very common shadow pattern people get into um, and Elida talked about it is you can't be positional um, and, and righteous about that just because three months ago you thought when you got to this part of your co-creation plan it was going to look like this. Now that you're actually there, you know, three months into the future, now that you're actually there, it's probably going to be different. Same energy, same idea, but a, but a somewhat different manifestation. You have to be willing to flow with that. You can't be positional or you're not going to end up actually co-creating a new life. You're just going to create a new version of your old life. So that's a really big shadow pattern that arises. It's a shadow of the teacher, leader energy, the, the sovereign in your life. So another shadow pattern that is really common today is the liar. People lie all the time to themselves. I mean, they lie all the time to each other as well, but people lie to themselves all the time, right? The false self is a big lie. So liar, the other thing is self-denial. These, the, and, but anyway, these patterns, at least in the psychocosmology, the way we look at the patterns was all last, last week, uh, two weeks ago. So the whole thing with shamanism is that you will get an accurate diagnosis and remedy if you ask the right question. If you don't ask the right question, you'll still get a diagnosis and a remedy, but it may not work because you haven't asked the right question in the first place. So for, for shamanic work with spirit to work well, right, we need to actually be able to notice what is really going on. So I know I'm kind of harping on this notice at stage one of this, but it's really important to be able to see through your own assumptions. 
So you're looking at a situation, it's problematic. Step back and say, okay, what are the assumptions that I'm making about this situation? So the simplest version of this was people ask me all the time, what question do I ask to get unstuck? I said, well, are you really stuck? Are you stuck? Are you blocked? Are you um, in a fog? You know, what, it, what, what does this actually feel like is going on? Because if you ask how to get unstuck, if you're not stuck, you're going to get an answer, but it's not going to be helpful. So by seeing the shadow pattern accurately, by noticing yourself. So in other words, instead of asking, you know, why am I failing at my co-creation plan? Say, oh, I already know that. I'm failing in my co-creation plan right now because I'm being the martyr. I notice myself in this shadow pattern. So the question you would take to spirit would be about the martyr, would be about that pattern, would be about the shadow energy, not actually about why you're flailing around with your co-creation plan. Okay. So the point is you have to notice what you're doing, right? And you have to see past what the false self wants you to see. And once you do that, then you can ask the right question that will actually give you an accurate diagnosis of what is going on. You know, why are you being a martyr? And what's the remedy to that? And in in my cosmology that I teach, if you were being a martyr, the remedy would have something to do with the healer, the healing energy that needs to come through. And so this is the beauty then of, of patterns and how they fit in the organization of a cosmology is the diagnosis and remedy are all inherent in the same cosmology. Okay, so we've established the need to notice. It, it goes with the learn to discern, which was a, a big theme in last year's shows we need to notice we need to discern what it is that we're noticing and we need to be able to bring some critique to the way we're looking at our life not criticism but but um in some ways i i consider it the healthy skeptic why am i blocked well are you really blocked you know to play devil's advocate with yourself and pick that all apart so that you really get a sense of what is going on here what am I noticing? What is going on? Okay. So then once we notice we're in a shadow pattern and you notice what you're actually doing when you aren't doing what you want to be doing, right? So that's very typically a shadow pattern. When our effort, we want our effort to be going this way towards this thing, but instead it gets derailed and it goes off in another direction in another way. And we didn't consciously choose to do that. It happened unconsciously. It felt out of our control. That that kind of thing. That's almost always a sign that we're moving into some kind of shadow behavior. Okay. So we notice what we're doing. So in other words, part of – okay, so here's another piece of the noticing. What I mean by notice what you're doing is also notice what you're doing instead of – beating yourself up for the fact that you're doing it instead of indulging either even further in it right because you know it's you know it's a pattern that gets you sideways every time you you don't want to just go oh well I screwed up anyway so I'm just gonna throw the towel in and dive in deeper right um notice what you're doing instead of getting depressed about it notice what you're doing instead of judging yourself about the fact that you're doing it it's just about discernment it's about noticing and discerning seeing past what the false self wants you to see and refusing to feel what the false self wants you to feel about it but to but to in in a sense embrace your shadow pattern for what it is without judgment because somewhere in that shadow if you can embrace it and frankly love it you're going to get the message your deeper self is trying to get you to get. And that's exactly what the false self is trying to keep you from doing. And so it's important to notice yourself in the shadow pattern and just notice. Embrace it. Accept it. And begin to explore it. Don't beat yourself up. Don't judge yourself. Don't doubt yourself. Don't go blah, blah, blah. Here I go again. I do this every time. Ah, you know, Throw in the towel. Get depressed. Blah. Don't do that. 
It's a choice to do all those things in this situation that I'm describing. Don't go there. Just notice. Look at me. I'm being a martyr again. How about that? Wow, I am so good at this. Mm, Okay, so what's this about? That's noticing. Okay, so what is the pattern? What's really going on? Not your expectations or fantasies about your process. Um, Not what you fear is happening. Or not what you want to have happen. It's about noticing what is happening. What is actually going on. So, for example, I've been working hard with a woman who really wants to bring forward her innate capacity to lead. But what's been happening is she gets a clear picture of it and then it becomes a fantasy. And then no matter what she does or how effective her leadership is, she just keeps seeing the fantasy and doesn't actually see what's happening. And that's what I mean by noticing yourself in the pattern, but also noticing what's really going on, not what you want to see, um, not what you're afraid to see. uh, and, And in that, the other thing is don't see what's not there. Because you're sure every time I do this, X, Y, Z happens. Well, is X, Y, Z happening or are you just projecting that on the situation? So this noticing thing is really important when you start working with A, co-creating your life, but B, the shadow stuff that comes up when you start doing that. Okay, so you've noticed, not your projections, not your fantasies, not your whatever, not judging, not fearing, blah, blah, blah. You've noticed I'm in this pattern right? Does it feel familiar? Tune into that. How many other ways and times have I done this pattern? Because in that way, it's like you're really fine tuning, like dialing in. I mean, what this pattern really is for you. What is your, what is this version of this pattern? How does it feel? Because the anesthetization the pattern offers you one way or another is important part of the message. So how you feel in that pattern is important. Have you done something like this before? You know, slept with the wrong person, indulged in your addiction. Have you done this before? So really tune in. What pattern do I find myself in? So in other words... Just because you're acting out, let's say, with a substance doesn't actually necessarily mean you're being an addict. That act out with the substance could be a way that you victimize yourself. So it's important to not just be superficial about and judgmental about what you're doing, but to feel into it. What does it feel like? So you truly get what is going on here. What pattern do I find myself in? Now, another piece of this that can be important, because it might actually mean you're not really dealing with a shadow energy as much as just a really dominant pattern in your life. So let's say you get caught up in some emotional reaction to something that's derailed you from your co-creation plan. Um, The first thing is to notice, I am caught in my emotional reaction, right? I'm not responding anymore. I'm reacting. I'm caught up in an emotional reaction. And in the midst of that noticing, then ask yourself, how old do I feel? Let's say you notice, wow, I feel like a five-year-old. I feel exactly like I felt when everybody else went off to school and I had to stay home. I felt abandoned. So you're feeling that sense of that age. So if you're not feeling your current age, then emotionally you know that the source of this pattern is coming out of a younger self. And the question is, in other words, it's coming out of a younger self and not your current self. So the question is why? Is this an aspect of yourself you can tune into and clear the separation and just go forward? Or is it actually soul loss? We have to kind of sort that out. Okay. So another thing about noticing is uh, noticing that you're judging yourself or others is almost always a sign that you're in a shadow pattern. So the most common uh, simple experience that I see, for example, is let's say a person wants to do decision B, right? And But they go through jumping through a whole lot of hoops to make decision A wrong 
to justify decision B. That almost always means that the person is moving towards decision B because they are being motivated by unconscious shadow energies at the behest of the false self. So when we're aligned in our co- with our co-creation efforts, like if decision B is really aligned with our co-creation efforts, then there's no need to make any other decision wrong. The whole thing is just about the fact that this decision is what's right. It's aligned. So whenever I hear people justifying a decision by criticizing other things or making other things wrong or being victimized by other things, then I know there's shadow energies at play that they're not seeing and this is that stage where they're not noticing and so they're being driven then by their false self and the shadow energies are being used as the minions of the false self because we haven't noticed and taken charge of what's going on. So the important thing in this example of the choice decisions A and B is that by not noticing that you're judging you know, decision A to justify decision B, then you're not noticing the shadow pattern. So if you're not noticing the shadow pattern, then you're, you're not noticing that decision B is really not aligned with your calling. So it's a little bit tricky, I know, and it's very convoluted when we start talking about the shadow. And at the same time, the reason that learning to notice yourself in the shadow pattern will help you to make a better decision in co-creating your life is because which shadow pattern came up? When you notice it, will help you understand what it is you're not seeing uh, in terms of the distinction between your false self driving your life and your co-creation plan that's moving you towards authenticity. Okay, so the important thing here, though, is just because you noticed you're in your shadow pattern does not mean that the crazy logic of the shadow is just going to unwind for you. It's not remotely that simple. So, working with the shadow pattern. So, you've noticed. Okay, point one. Shadow work in journeys usually becomes a cluster you-know-what really quickly if you just journey directly about your shadow patterns. So, first off, if you're going to journey about shadow patterns, which I certainly suggest, you need a specialist in your journeying. Your own shadow patterns can even run your own helping spirits in circles. You need a specialist. So you need to call in someone like Crazy Woman, someone like the Trickster, maybe Death. I mean, you need to call in helping spirits that are known, renowned for their ability to work in crazy logic if you're going to start journeying about your shadow. And that's perfectly fine. You just need to remember to do that. Okay, so regarding calling in helping spirits, we know as shamanic practitioners, right, that you don't always get what you ask for. And with that, the other corollary of that is that most people don't stand up for themselves in their journeys, right? They just, they cower. So the important thing here is that you noticed you're in a shadow pattern. You desperately need help to get out. And that fact alone, that you've noticed you're in a shadow pattern and will stand up for the fact that you need help now, will make you monumentally more interesting to your helping spirits than you were the day before. So, put your foot down and say, look, I'm screwed here. I can't understand this shadow stuff. I need one of you as a specialist and I'm asking one of you crazy logic helping spirits to come and assist me. Okay, so once one of them steps forward... You need to ask if you're in arrears and if so, how to reconcile that relationship. The crazy logic teachers get a bad rap in Western culture and you very well could have played into that in ways you're not even aware of. So it's important to reconcile that. Another thing to ask, even if you're not in arrears, is just how do you maintain a healthy ongoing relationship with that helping spirit? You know, do they want a shrine? Do they want you to pick up garbage in the park? You know, what do they want you to do to help to maintain that relationship? Okay, so that's point one, get a specialist. Point two, work with the crazy logic, not against it. Okay, so as you work to unfold this shadow pattern that you're in and why are you in it and how to blah, 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 the path that unfolds will not satisfy your mind. If it does, then that means the false self has stepped in and rescued you from the nonsense. 
right? That's the false self's perspective. You need to be rescued from that nonsense. So how will you know the difference? Well, these are some things about the crazy logic path. As it unfolds and you start to understand your shadow self, usually it scares you initially. It might fascinate you in, in, a, in a watching a train wreck sort of way, but it sort of scares and fascinates you. The other thing about crazy logic is that it satisfies your heart, not your mind. It satisfies your heart in a way that you can't quite explain. And the fact that it satisfies your heart and you can't quite explain it makes your mind very nervous and sometimes actually anxious for some people. The other thing about crazy logic is it works in really unexpected ways. I mean, that's the whole point. It's crazy logic. It makes associations and connections that don't make sense. And you have to just work with that. Okay, so call on a specialist. Work with the crazy logic, not against it. And so as you follow the path of your crazy logic, it will begin to unfold to you in ways that you never expected or believed possible. And you will begin to see what you've denied in yourself. And you'll want to welcome that aspect of yourself back. That was the whole point then of why that particular shadow pattern rose up is to get more of yourself on board in a wholeness sort of way so that you're moving forward co-creating your life as a complete being. Okay, so the next thing about working with shadow patterns is be sure that you really tuned in to identify the pattern and that you're not just dealing with an individual event. It's too superficial for shadow journeys to work with just this one-time individual event. So if you're able to begin noticing what is really going on, and then you can learn to identify the shadow pattern that you're in. This is where cosmology comes in. Right, so a cosmology is a way to understand the world and ourselves in it. So each coherent and complete cosmology names different shadow patterns, but ultimately covers all the bases. And um, they're named in the perspective of that cosmology. Okay, so once you've accurately named your shadow, you can journey about it. And so here's a little sequence of journeys. So you could journey to say, what true self do I lose access to when I'm acting in my blah, blah, blah shadow pattern. You've got to fill in the blank. You've got to name that pattern. Right? Question number two. What beliefs or values do I hold that keep me from living the true potential of that true self? So this was the answer that came out of journey number one. What true self do I lose access to? So you've named that true self. Okay. Number three comes the personal work. You need to find the inner you that holds the beliefs and values that just got named in question number two, right? And do what you need to do to renegotiate with yourself beliefs and values that support your current co-creation process, your current self. And you need to do something to clear the old beliefs and values and establish the new ones. Now, part of the clearing may actually require ritual because beliefs and values can get spread throughout our, our self as a great web. And it may require the help of spirit to remove it, especially if it's a very key belief or value that you've been living on for a long time. Okay, so that was number four, may require ritual or ceremony. And number five, back to journeying again, is how do I, destroy, how do I restore right relationship with that you know, the true self that got named. So once you've cleared the beliefs and values out of the way, then how do I restore a relationship with that self? Okay. So we're coming to the end here of the show today. But let me just quickly go over what do you do if you can't identify the pattern? Well, the first reason might be because you aren't working in a cosmology. And if that's the case, get one. If, the, if you're asking these questions, you're ready to move your shamanism to a place where you're operating in a cosmology, not just journeying randomly. So your helping spirits will come to you regardless of your beliefs and perspective. However, if you want to learn to work deeply to transform yourself and your world with your shamanic skills, then you need a cosmology to contain that level of practice. 
Another reason you might not be able to identify the patterns is because you aren't noticing. You haven't cultivated the kind of self, inner self, who can notice. So start cultivating. Slow down. Clear out some old files in your head. Spend some time each day in unmediated by technology. Imagine that, right? Find a practice and practice. But do something to begin to cultivate yourself as someone who can notice. Another reason would be because you're simply too afraid that underneath it all, um, you're afraid to do what you need to do for yourself. And if that's the case, you need a soul retrieval. Right? And I mean this sincerely. If you're simply too afraid to do what you need to do with what you find within yourself, that's a sign of soul loss. So find yourself a shaman and get a soul retrieval. Because you are here to co-create your unique life with the universe, regardless of how you see the invisible world. It is here to work with you, to co-create a life of meaning and purpose. And your gifts are needed. That which you bring, that which only you can bring is needed in today's world, or you wouldn't be here. So bring them. There is no calling worth living that will not demand that you change yourself. That's the adventure, the discovery, and the creation of a life worth living. And the world out there so deeply in need of medicine and gifts. The world out there will only be changed by your gifts and by giving your uniqueness. Anything less than that, we are all just creating more of the same. And the world out there so deeply in need of medicine and gifts will change if you have the courage and the creativity to give them. So I give thanks to the ancestral helping spirits for being with us, for the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone.